What a blessing to be in your company today, and I'm humbled and honored, and I feel somewhat privileged to be here. feel very inadequate, but I feel blessed to be here. So I want to welcome everyone here today, and I want to welcome all the family of believers across the country and around the Israelite world who join us on a Sabbath morning. To each of you who are here today, to those of you who are scattered from one coast to another coast, across the Atlantic, across the Pacific, all the way down to South Africa, all the way across to Australia, to New Zealand, way up in Canada, even in Europe, we greet all Israelites today. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, children of the promise, heirs of the kingdom, the children of the covenants. Wow, what a privileged, what a privileged people we are to be called into such an inheritance. So all Bible believers today, all Bible believers today, at this assembly here in western Missouri, and to Israelites everywhere, those in the living room with a Bible open, we invite you today, and we send love and prayers your way, and we pray that everyone here and everyone away from here will know and remember that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. So the church is in session wherever two or three or more are gathered together. And we're so privileged here in western Missouri to have a whole congregation. And may the name of Jesus Christ be praised for that. Praise God. So attention all Bible believers, all Bible believers, please pick up your ticket, your boarding pass for a flyover look at the book of Revelation. In this little flyover, we will examine some of the more salient peaks in the book of Revelation. This is biblical terrain that many have flown over, some have landed and got lost in. This journey will probably not be completed in this one flight. So do not get nervous if the turbulence gets wild and we have to land and pick this lesson up again sometime else. Now, some of the more mountain peaks that we, some of the more notable mountain peaks that we will fly over will be, uh, well, there'll be Mount Tribulation, Mount Deception, Mount Wrath, that's the wrath of God, 
That's Mount Vile, the vials of God's wrath. Mount Trumpet, the sounding of a lot of trumpets. And then there will be Mount Millennium. That's a wonderful mountain to visit, fly over. But the best one of all is Mount Victory. That's when Jesus Christ returns to sit upon his throne and establish his kingdom on this earth, and the earth was made for the kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the, script, the scriptural terrain over which we will fly in this last book in the Bible has caused a lot of difficulty over the last 2,000 years, and it would be difficult to imagine how large a pickup bed it would require to haul all the books, all the journals, pamphlets, articles that have been printed over the last 2,000 years about the book of Revelation. It has been one of the most discussed books in the Bible, certainly alleged to be the most controversial book in the Bible, and certainly one that genders up great controversy and not too much unity among theologians at certain seasons in history. So, a disclaimer here, beloved. I don't know that much about the book of Revelation. And the more that I learn about it, the more I realize that I know more and more about less and less. So we're just going to fly over the book of Revelation. We will not complete the flight in this time. We will land before we finish the flyover, and then we'll decide if we need to fly the rest of the, make the rest of the flight. However, we don't want to leave you stranded, so we'll, we'll think carefully about that. Now, in the event that the person next to you grows weary and sleepy, and suffers boredom and goes to sleep, that'll be my fault, not yours. So today, beloved, my earnest prayer sincerely is that we might know that we're living in a day and time when we might need to look at the last great prophecy in our Bible. Can we pray? Our Father and our God, we do open the pages of the Holy Word of God to the book of Revelation in acknowledgement that we know so little, that we see through the glass so darkly, O oh, living God, I beseech thee in the name of Jesus Christ that by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit you would guide this lesson that we might not in any wise mislead anyone. Living God, if there's any thought that we might express contrary to your will, please erase it. From our mind, we plead this 
Holy Spirit of God, intercede now and guide this flyover of the book of Revelation in this first stage of the flight. We will forever remember to give you all praise and glory and honor for keeping us out of theological trouble, and we praise you in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. If you would be so kind to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, <clears throat> fasten your seat belts securely in place. We may pass through some turbulent weather. If you get to feeling too turbulent and need uh, a little bag, there's one in your neighbor's uh, chamber. So here we go. We're in Revelation. We're in the Apocalypse. It's sometimes called the Apocalypse. I want to begin with a statement in Revelation 1, verse 3. Here's the promise. Blessed is he that readeth. It's the only book in the Bible that says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy. It is a prophecy, and there's a huge percentage of the Bible that is prophecy. And then blessed would be those who keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. I'd like to remind the congregation of something that a lot of Bible readers reading the book of Revelation overlook. And that is verse number one. So let's drop down and let's read verse number one together. See if we can be united on that first verse. Together, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his, by his angel unto his servant John. So, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John. It's not the revelation of some wonderful uh, angel like Gabriel or Michael or someone. No, this is the great prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would remind this entire congregation that Hebrews chapter number one in the New Testament tells us something that a lot of people forget. That God in these last days, the last days are from the first advent of Christ until he returns. So the last days are between the arrival of Jesus from the womb of the Virgin Mary until he comes back as the Lion of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So now, here's what we need to keep in mind, beloved, that Jesus, the author of this wonderful prophecy, tells us precisely who he's writing it to. And that's important because this is a revelation. So who is it being given to? That might be very important for us to look at. So turn to chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 4, chapter 1. 
And I'd like to thank you for reading with me. I'll try to read at a pace so you can be comfortable. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace which he, from him which is and which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, what beautiful words, and hath made us kings and priests and God and his father, what beautiful thoughts, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Last verse. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and the kindreds of the earth shall bewail because of him. Even so, amen. You do not have to be a bright person, and I put myself into that category, to know that he has not yet split the clouds. Chalk one up for something that has yet to happen in the book of Revelation. And we haven't even got to the end of the first chapter. How about that? Well, with that thought in mind, church, may I remind this congregation now that when you come to the end of this revelation, take note of this. This revelation is still on target with the church. If you look at Revelation 22, verse 16, it's still the church. That means, for the benefit of everyone here today and those not here, if you think that the church age is over and that God has canceled the church in lieu of something else or replaced it with something else, think again. So we ought to be humbled to know that the church is Israel. Israel is the church. And it's redeemed Israel. The church is made up of those who are redeemed. Redemption is the great well out of which we draw salvation. The well of redemption is where all salvation is drawn from. They are inseparable, the two words, redemption and salvation. And the church is the church of the redeemed. It's also called the church of the firstborn. So I pray that we will know that if you are called into Christ and you have put on Christ in baptism and you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, then you're united to the body of Christ, his, his people. Then you're part of the church and that's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a joy. 
And if you're part of that body, you ought to be grateful beyond all words, to say the least. And so today, people, I remind the congregation of what this book tells us. Blessed is he that readeth, they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep the things which are written therein. So with that thought in mind, beloved, we are ready now to look at the book of Revelation. Now, as we make our flight through this book, you might ask this, yourself the question, why is this book perhaps so important for our day and time? Why would we as a body of Christian believers, want to even know more about the book of Revelation. There might be many reasons, but I think we wouldn't have to work too hard to find seven compelling reasons why we ought to look at the book of Revelation in our time, in the time that God has given us in this season of history. So let me... Let me just point out a couple of th some things here real quick. I believe that, number one, the book of Revelation is, was designed for a time when there's mass religious deception abroad throughout the nation and the world. That's a universal phenomenon. America was not a divided nation spiritually, religiously, a hundred years ago. We were white, we were Protestant, we believed in Jesus Christ as the incarnate Son of God. We were united as a nation. Not today. Not today. And it hasn't been that way for some time. So there's mass religious deception abroad universally. We live in a religiously pluralistic society to our shame today. But let me, let me read quickly what Jesus himself said about religious deception and false Christ that would arise. I'm turning to the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus gave the Oliviate prophecy. And coincidentally, when you're reading the book of Revelation, remember that the Oliviate prophecy of Matthew 24, 25, Luke 21, Mark 13, fit hand in a glove with the book of Revelation. So the last, and that prophecy was delivered just before Jesus was hung to the cross at Calvary. So the last two great prophetic announcements in the Bible were from the lips of Jesus. The Oliviate prophecy and the Revelation prophecy. Those are the two huge prophecies that were given by Jesus uh, while he was finishing giving his prophetic word to add to the canon. So let me read from Matthew 24, the words of Jesus, verses 5 and 6, Matthew 24. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, shall deceive many. You shall hear wars and rumors of wars. 
and so forth. But in verse 4, Jesus said, Take heed that no man deceive you. Rampant, rampant deception would be present in the latter days. And then I'm dropping to verse 23. If any man, Matthew 24, 23, that if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall, not could be, might be, there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and shall show great signs, great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. If the very elect stand the risk of being deceived, how much greater is it that you and I be in a church where we can be held accountable for what we say Amen. and what we believe? We need a check. We need somebody to check us. We cannot be an armchair theologian and be the Lone Ranger and telling the rest of the Israelite community what the truth is if we're not in accountability. Amen. That's very important. No one is an island. We heard that this morning. We're all part of the mainland of Israel belief. So we need a check. And we need to be held accountable for what we teach and preach and so forth. Very important. So religious deception. Number two, the Bible predicts in the book of Revelation itself that we would come to a time when the age of great technological advancement would be underway. Great technological advancement without accompanying morality. When you take away the morals from technology, it becomes bankrupt. And that's whether you're in Facebook or Snapchat or TikTok or TalkTick or whatever it is. All of that, all of that is a gateway to pornography and I don't know what else. God only knows what else is available. So the age of technology without biblical morality is dangerous. It's risky. And watch your young people. Watch them. Demand accountability if they have a cell phone. And think twice before what age you want to trust a cell phone in the hand of your children. And then, number three, moral reprobation is always generally followed by a terrible thing called totalitarian rule. Moral reprobation leads to the empowerment of the state. And we're seeing the rise of the state today. And the state is using technology to garner control. And the ultimate will be when the state has reached the level of being able to produce 
the beast kingdom that rises up out of the sea in Revelation 13. That won't happen without the mastery of technology in their hand. And then, phenomenon number four is a one world government for certain and sure is the plan of the opposition to Christ and his kingdom. The kingdom of Satan seeks the domination of the souls of men and the real estate of the earth. And they're competing and they're betting that their kingdom will be the kingdom that will prevail against Christ and his kingdom. And you know the book of Revelation gives the end of that story like no other book does. So we merely have to turn to Genesis 11 and we'll not do that because you're familiar with the building of the Tower of Babel. But the building of a one world government is rapidly coming into focus now in our time of history. Much more so than it was back in 1948 when the United Nations was created. It's now on steroids. At least that's what Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum would like you to believe. And then number six is the elimination, the elimination of all truth seekers. All truth seekers. There is a goal today to erase, to cancel, to monitor, and to silence truth from the lips of people in the effort that it'll be removed from their heart. So we live in a generation of great gathering power against truth and the dissemination of truth by every means that is possible. And then we have number seven, the conformity that will be demanded of everyone to the beast system. Conformity. It's called the herd mentality that you must think alike. Everybody rolls their sleeve up for the injection. Everyone adorns the face mask. Everyone listens to the request for social distancing. That's what the beast wants, that's what they demand is conformity. Don't be different just to be different. Be different because you're peculiar, special, and you're a Bible-believing Israelite who is determined to stay in the Bible and think for yourself the truth that God has revealed in His Word. Conform to the Word of God. If you're going to be a conformist, conform to Jesus Christ. Conform to His law. Conform to His Word. Can I dare say that one of the signs of, con of confirmation today, one of the ways that people like to confirm that they're part of the herd that they have the herd mentality, 
is they love to decorate their bodies with a tattoo. That makes them feel like they're in. They're part of the herd. They put graffiti on God's property and they're proud of it. They're happy about it. No, they ought to be ashamed about it. If they read their Bible, it would say, don't put prints on your body, it's God's property. I added the last phrase, but that's why it's in there. Because our bodies were given to us by the Creator. And we ought not to deface His property. Now conformity, lack of conformity, equals persecution. It can equal imprisonment. And it could lead to a re-education camp. To a visit to a gulag. But it's better to die free than to bend, bow, and genuflect to Baal. Is life so dear to be purchased at the price of chains? Is that how liberty is? No, with Patrick Henry, let us say, and I'll change his words a little bit, give us the freedom that we have in Christ to read his word, believe his word, and tell others of his word above the price of death. Now, I hurriedly moved through the, some of the more egregious reasons why this generation, this period in history right now, is different than any generation that have ever lived. No generation in history had the means of being followed day and night, 724, by a government that has the ability, if you hold a cell phone, to know where you are, who you talk to, and they're even trying to figure out how to make that, that phone record what you think. In fact, they already believe that they know how to do that. So, we live in an unusual age, church, and I believe that I may have skipped over one of these seven and that was the genocide of the white race. The genocide of the white race. Now I'd like you to turn with me to the psalmist chapter number 83. And let's look at something written there. Psalm 83, thank you. Thank you to all the passengers who are still awake. I'm in Psalm 83. Everyone in this congregation knows that there's a war against the color of white skin. You would have to be a member of the congregation of the dead not to know that. Everyone, every last person in America, they can suppress it. They can hide it, evade it. But they will not deny, if they're honest, that there is a ruthless 
War of propaganda against those who are born with white skin. Can I tell you why? Or rather still, let the psalmist, chapter 83, tell you why, and let's read together. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people, and they have consulted against thy hidden ones. Think of Matthew 13, 44, the treasure hidden in the field. Israel, called to be God's peculiar treasure. They have said, come, verse 4, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. That's a, that's a terrible goal for the enemy that we have on this earth that our names be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee, the tabernacles of Edom. There's that Idumean ugly snake called Edom leading the way. The Ishmaelites, that's the Arab world, of Moab and the Hagargenes, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek. He's the worst of, of, the, of one of the, the very worst his venom is terribly poisonous. The Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre, Azure also is joined with them. They have hope on the children of Lot, Selah, do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera, as to Jabin at the brook of Kishon, which perished at Endor, they became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yea, all their princes are as Zeba and Zalmunia. All those things will one day happen when the day of vengeance opens up as articulated in the book of Revelation. There's going to be someone with a sword and with a following of angels on white horses that are going to be the sword against all the people we just read about who said, let us take to ourselves, verse 12, the houses of God in possession. Let's go into the seminaries. Let's control what the preachers and the pulpits are going to say. Let's take the houses of God in possession. Oh my God, make them like a wheel as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth a wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire. So persecute them with tempest and make them afraid with thy storm. This is God speaking to the enemy. Fill their faces with shame. This is what the remnant prays that God would be doing. That they may seek thy name, O Lord, Jehovah. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish. That men may know. Hello. That men may know, read that with me, church. This is too rich not to say it together. That men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah art the most high over all the earth. You got to remember that a sovereign God is watching over the entire universe, particularly this planet called earth, and 
significantly his gaze is upon Israel. Now we're getting ready to leave the phenomenon, the great phenomenal reasons why our generation needs to know the book of Revelation. Even if we see through a dark, through a glass darkly, even if our gaze is not that good, even if our vision is somewhat blurred, we need to be looking at this book prayerfully, fervently, earnestly seeking the mind of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to know what this book is telling us. Now, I mentioned earlier that moral reprobation, moral, immoral behavior would be a characteristic of the last day. I, I want, before we leave this little section, think about the level of immorality in where it's taking us, church. In your lifetime, Many of the people sitting in these pews today can chart the progression of the level of immorality in this country. You have witnessed over the, score, uh, over the pace of years how we first resisted. We resisted homosexuality in this country. We abhorred it. And we resisted it as a nation. But little by little, the years went by and we became more and more acceptable of that horrendous sin. The same is true with miscegenation, race mixing, any other thing you want to name in terms of immorality. We first resist, then little by little we begin to accommodate. It's like the proverbial frog dropped into a pan of cold water. At first the frog feels comfortable, but you turn up the heat and pretty soon the frog begins to move around because he knows it's getting uncomfortable and if he stays there and is conditioned to the hot water long enough, he expires, he dies. So we're going to leave this subject behind, but not before I read into the record from God's Word of a generation. I'm not going to tell you where I'm reading. You're going to guess. A generation that approaches very much like the one we're living in. And I don't know, I don't believe that we have ever seen the depth, the breadth, and the sinfulness of what I'm going to read from the book of Genesis. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was very corrupt. It was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me.
For the earth is filled with violence. Immoral behavior breeds violence. America's becoming a nation of flash mobs, of lawless, degenerate masses filling the asphalt jungles of America. Genesis 6 is a perfect description of the contemporary world, contemporary world that we live in today. So I just simply say, church, there's plenty of reason why we need to open the covers of the Bible and study the book of Revelation. Now, as to time, the book of Revelation is very clear. We are told in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, 119, in Revelation chapter 119, we read in that marvelous book these words. Write the things which thou hast seen. That's past tense. Things that have happened. And the things which are, things that were then being present in the first century. And what's the third category? Help me. Past, present, and the things which shall be hereafter. That is future. Now, as to location, time, it's past, present, future, as to location, from Revelation 1, verse 1 to verse 20 of chapter 1, the prophet is on the earth, on the earth, seeing Jesus in a vision. He's in the earth, visualizing in a real vision, Christ appears in chapter 1, verses, it ends in chapter 1. From chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 22 of chapter 3, that's chapter 2, verse 1 to 322, the prophet, or sometimes called a seer, is on the earth looking forward through history of the seven churches in their relationship to Christ through time and history. And all you need to remember about the seven churches in Asia that are named in chapter 1, so that we would not miss that, chapter number 1, those seven churches in Asia are particularly and importantly very, very significant because the information in, Gen in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 has appropriate information for Christians in every church of the redeemed family of Israel in every generation. We as a body would be wise to look at the church of Ephesus. What did they do right? 
What were they doing wrong? Every church in every age is suspect to doing some good or some evil or both at one time simultaneously. So we need to look at Ephesus. We need to look at Smyrna, Pergamos. We need to look at Thyatira. We need to look at Philadelphia. We need to look at Sardis. We need to look at Laodicea. Every one of these churches would have a message for this congregation of things to be on guard about. And one of the overwhelming blessings of studying these seven churches, every one of the churches we are given the formula for overcoming. God tells us how the Christians at Smyrna overcame. How did the Christians at Ephesus overcome? How did every church have a body of overcoming believers? They didn't drop out. They didn't fall out. They didn't fizzle out. They didn't melt down. They didn't get crosswise. They stayed true. Every generation through the whole historical era of time stayed true, held fast. Nothing could be greater for you and I that, than that we would purpose to be an overcomer. And beloved, you cannot be an overcomer and you cannot qualify as an overcomer unless you have overcome something. That's the only way you get to be an overcomer is to qualify for to be such a person. All right? With those thoughts in mind, we're ready now to look and take a little deeper dive into the book of Revelation. Now, I believe that God would want me to give you a verse of Scripture before we go any further. This is a check. Check on every preacher. It's a check on every believer. And I believe it's really an important check. If you're playing a game of chess, you know that a smart chess player is willing to look closely at the moves he's going to make. When you read the book of Revelation, church, it's a deep dive. And you may need oxygen before you get to the bottom of the truth. More than most people would imagine. But the Apostle Peter, remember Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of, help me out, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, 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 and the prophets. And who is the chief cornerstone? Christ, Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. 
the Apostle Peter said this. He gave, you something, he gave us all a warning about prophecy. Peter walked with Jesus. He was the one that actually walked on the water until he took his eyes off Jesus. The only, only man I ever, that I know that ever actually stayed on top of the water was Peter. And he was doing great until he looked at the waves and took his eyes off of Christ. Peter said this, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. More sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, that's our country, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Hear that, Dan. Hear that, every preacher. Hear that, every believer. No Scripture, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Is that a rule? I think it is. No one has the right legitimately to say this is the last word. Because we may not know the last word the Holy Spirit will reveal by any means at any point in this book. I speak of the book of Revelation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, according to the Apostle Peter, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. So I think that's a good warning for all of us. Yes, we're not going to understand the book of Revelation and say, this is, this is it. We see through a, a glass very darkly at times. So when we open the pages of the book of Revelation, we are confronted right out on the opening deck with the method of interpretation we're going to use. And unfortunately, over time, there's been different methods coined. One is called preterism. It's all finished. Another one is eclectic, that there's good in it. There's the mysterious in it. There's the incomprehensible in it. But there's a lot of good for every Christian in it. That's eclectic. There's the historical. It's a wonderful panorama of the history of the past. With maybe a little flourish now and then of something that might not be history yet, but mostly history, historicist. And then there is the futurist, where the evangelical world land. And you know what they're fond of doing? The evangelical world, and there are 
they're decidedly one of the largest segments of the Christian world. Their theologians, via the Schofield Bible notes, have carved out a very comfortable eschatological view of history. Oh, the evangelicals, they've got it all figured out because they will point out when they open the book of Revelation from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to Revelation 22, verse 16, the word church is not mentioned. And do you know why they believe the church is not mentioned from Revelation 4, 1 to Revelation 22, verse 16? Because they think that church has been raptured. They think that church is long gone. They think there was a day when airline pilots were flying a, a plane and suddenly there was no pilot behind the cockpit. Or they believe that a mother, a mother is nursing her baby and is caught away and left an unbelieving husband. Or they, they got it all figured out. And the rapture is the end all for all. For them, they're not concerned. It's just be paid up, prayed up, and ready to go up. That's all you have to do. Pay up, be prayed up, and you're going to go up. It's a fire escape religion. Now they forgot that Noah was saved in the water, in the flood, not out of it. They forgot that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved in the fire, not out of it. Smell of smoke was not upon them. They forgot that Daniel the prophet was in the lion's den with hungry lions, saved in the lion's den, not out of it. Now before, before this journey through Revelation is over, we're going to find a great multitude that came out of great tribulation. And we're going to find out that the rapture is going to be a false alarm that will deceive many people. Religious deception, remember what we just said earlier. So, we warn you that the futurist, the futurist position of looking at the book of Revelation can really be a dangerous thing. It's got landmines all over the place, but then guess what? Preterism is, is laced with landmines. That's the other end of that extreme. And I might add that there are landmines in every position you can name. So I've listed the best position to take when you're looking at all the varied opinions. Why not be a biblicist? What is a biblicist? A biblicist seeks to find the truth in every position, bring it all together, and say, this looks best. Because every school of thought is going to have some truth. That's how they built their, their platform. They, they found some truth. So we would be wise to see what every position offers that seems to be biblical 
and throw the chaff away. So I think a biblicist is a person who says, I have no pet peeves. I haven't written a book I'm trying to defend. I haven't, I haven't, I have no axe to grind. I'm not trying to defend a position. I'm trying to seek the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth about the book of Revelation. And if, if you were a person that wrote a book, you know what I would bet anyone that has written a book on the book of Revelation? They'd like to have a redo. Do you know why? If you read the book of Revelation 101 times on the, on the 101st time through, you're going to see things you didn't see the other 99 or 100 times. The Holy Spirit is a continuum of revelation. The more you read the Bible, the more is revealed to you. It's a mysterious book. It's written for a child to understand some basic truth. A child can read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then it tells you what God did for successively the first six days and what he did on the seventh day. And a child can understand that. Oh yeah, we have a lot of Bible students that can't. They need to go back and be a child. And they'd understand Genesis 1 and the six-day creation and the Holy Sabbath day. That would help them a lot. That would help them a lot. So, look for the significant words in the book of Revelation. What are the mountain peaks? Well, we mentioned deception, tribulation, judgment, Mount Millennium. But the great, the great one, don't, don't lose it, it's victory. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Revelation 12, 11. That's a good that's a beautiful verse. Now here's what is amazing to me, church. If you study the Olivet prophecy previously mentioned, the very characteristics of the book of Revelation are witnessed to again in the Olivet prophecy. Everything that's in the book of Revelation is touched upon by Jesus just before he went to Calvary. So a good place to start with the book of Revelation is Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke 21 and Mark 13. That's a good precursor to the book of Revelation. And it doesn't even hurt to read the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel if you want to really do a deep dive into the book of Revelation. So, the order for this study, the book of Revelation is not as complicated as it first appears. It's divided into seven sevens. You know how beautiful the number seven is. Seven sevens. So the first of the seven is the seven churches of Asia. And then you have, and that's in chapter numbers one through three. Then you have 
the seven seals from chapter 4, verse 1 to 8, verse 2. Then you have the seven trumpets, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11, and verse 19. And then you have the seven personages found in Revelation 12, verses 1 through 14. And then you also have one of those personages showing up in Revelation 20, verse 4. And then you have the seven vials, or the bowls, found in chapters 15, 1 through 16, all the way through to chapter, to the beginning of the end of chapter essentially 19. Now, here's something you need to know, and I'm getting ready to, we're going to land so you can fasten your seat belts and put your luggage up overhead. Get your Bible ready to leave. Here's what we need to know about the seals, seven seals, lead in a progression to increase tribulation to the seven trumpets. When we come to the seven trumpets, the progression of judgment becomes much more accelerated. The last of the seven trumpets turns loose the seven vials or bowls of God's wrath. And church, when God's wrath is turned loose, all H is going to break loose. Yeah, we're going to think it's breaking loose when the seven seals and the first four horsemen of the apocalypse ride. And the next time we pick up this flight, we'll pick up with very quickly the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the rest of the seals and the and the trumpets, and then, of course, the, the vials follow. Then we have, after the seven vials, we have the seven dooms. Doom, whoa, dooms. Chapter 17, 1, all the way to chapter, to the end of verse 20. And then we have chapter 20, verse 15, and verse 6, giving us all the seven. Well, we, we actually encompass then the dooms and the seven new things. Now, I can't wait to get to the seven new things. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's one of the seven new things. And then... That ends the seven sevens, and that is where we will end today. So this final statement on our lesson today, church, it might be wise for all of us to pray and read the book of Revelation. May God bless you all.
and let us be standing.